asking the right question can greatly impact your future. So are you working with a certified financial planner, a CFP professional? Certified financial planner certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey, Axe, how's it going? Hey, how you doing, my friend? Lots oh, great. Here. Yeah, a lot is happening. Dennis McDonough, Susan Rice, I mean, they, they're getting the gang back together. Yeah, they are. They are. Well, I was part of that gang once. I know those folks I well. Are, I, I, are you going I, back I in? I admire them. No, I like it here with you. <laughs> yes, this is great. Hi, everyone. I'm CNN senior political reporter Nia Malika Henderson. And today I'm joined by the esteemed CNN <laughs> senior political commentator and the host of the Axe Files podcast, David Axelrod. Welcome to Politically Sound. Well, better esteemed than embalmed, I guess. So <laughs> thank you. I appreciate yes. it. <laughs> This week, as we approach the halfway mark of this turbulent, turbulent transition, we'll take a closer look at how President-elect Biden is forming his government and how his decisions these past few weeks will shape the months and indeed the years ahead. I'm going to keep my commitment that the administration, both in the White House and outside in the cabinet, is going to look like the country. We'll also talk about perhaps the biggest question hanging over Biden's transition and really all of Washington, and that is the Georgia Senate runoff races. We'll hear from CNN Washington correspondent Ryan Nobles on the ground in Georgia to walk us through exactly what the stakes are in these races and what they mean for the future of the Biden administration. So it's time to tune out the noise and tune in to what's politically sound. X, it's so great <laughs> to have you here. I have missed you. I haven't seen you yeah. in person since March, I guess, probably. I know. I know. This pandemic sucks. I, I miss yeah. sitting next to you and, uh, and trading ideas. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, you know, you've obviously spent a lot of your career in politics, working on presidential transitions. You were in the Obama administration uh, as his senior advisor and chief strategist. So yeah. talk to me about these cabinet picks. What do these administration appointments say about this moment and about Biden's priorities? Well, look, you know, there's it's such an interesting sort of matrix he's working with here. It's a big puzzle. You want people who are going to reflect your thinking and your policies and drive them forward. He also has made a commitment to produce a cabinet that reflects the country, that is more diverse than cabinets we've seen before. And you can see him working to achieve both goals here. When you look at his first waves of appointments, his uh, national security team, they're people very much known to him, and they reflect his view of reinvigorating global alliances as a priority and reinvigorating the intelligence community as an objective source of information and so on. Really strong choices. When you look at his economic team, very much focused on jobs, wages, dealing with the issues of inequality. So very coherent in keeping with his philosophy. And 
He is breaking one after another barrier here with some of these appointments, the most recent of which is General Austin as Defense Secretary, the first African-American appointed to lead the Department of Defense. You know, he's appointed a Hispanic Secretary of HHS for the first time in uh, Javier Becerra. He's appointed many, many women, first woman Treasury Secretary. I mean, he's very intentional here about following through on his commitment. So, you know, I think he's done well with it. The only thing that I would say about it is, you know, there is this uncomfortable kind of speculation about how he's going to satisfy all of his objectives here and where all the pieces go. And sometimes, you know, what I I fear is that when you make these historic appointments— that the stature of the people who are appointed and the qualifications that they bring are discounted and they're treated merely as sort of affirmative action appointments, which is really unfair to the people who have been appointed. But by and large, you know, I think that they are, it's so interesting to watch him try and fulfill his pledge in a way that also forwards his policy. And you talk about sort of the tug and pull with these cabinet picks. Talk about the biggest challenges that he is going to face, that the Democrats themselves are going to face going forward. Well, look, I mean, one of the challenges is he's got to get them confirmed. And the narrowness of the Senate, even if Democrats, and I know we're going to talk about this later, even if Democrats prevail in Georgia, and I think that, you know, that's an uphill battle. It is, uh, definitely. You know, you can have a very closely divided Senate. So you have to be mindful about, you know, can I get these folks confirmed? Right. And X, what do you see as the challenges for the Democratic Party? I think there were a the lot of— The party itself, uh, yeah. Look, the party I, itself. I, mean, I think that this election was— a great relief to many Democrats and beyond because of the sense of urgency about removing Trump from office. And that was accomplished. But I think underneath, there were real cautionary notes for the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party produced the most votes because they dominate these populous metropolitan areas. But the way we elect senators and representatives means that when you cede 80% of the counties in the country to the Republicans, as they did in this election, you're going to get a lot of Republican representation there. And, you know, I think Democrats were hopeful to win the Senate. That seems in jeopardy right now. They were hopeful to extend their majority in the House. They actually lost a dozen seats. Nancy Pelosi is going to have a rather thin margin, which is going to create some problems for her. Maybe in some ways, most distressing to Democrats is they had hoped to take over at least half a dozen very important state legislatures in this year, which leads up to a reapportionment for the next 10 years of the House and legislative chambers around the country. Not only did they not do that, but they lost two or three additional chambers. So Democrats need to solve this problem. They have to find out how to talk to people in some of these small towns and rural areas that they've just ceded to the Republicans and break down this divide. You know, they they don't have to win huge numbers there, but they have to win some. And, you know, Joe Biden— They have to cut the margins of victory that Trump was able to run up in those rural areas. And Republicans did better than Trump in those areas, which speaks to Biden and Biden's own qualities. He may have been the only Democrat running this year who could have beaten Trump, as it turns out, because he is moderate. He uh, comes from, you know, the industrial heartland. Uh, He's old. He's white. He's a male. All of those things obviously help. Let's quickly uh, turn to Georgia. How important 
Is this for Biden's fortunes as a president? If they don't win, how realistic is it for Biden to think he's going to have a great working relationship with Mitch McConnell yeah. and Republicans in the Senate? Well, first of all, I think it's really important. You know, he's going to have a more modest array of policies passed through that Congress if Democrats don't win in Georgia. As for his relationship with McConnell, look, he does have a good working relationship with McConnell. I saw it when I was in the White House. We used to send him down there to negotiate with McConnell. But we all know Mitch McConnell. McConnell's first and foremost goal is the perpetuation and enlargement of his majority and, if possible, the election of a Republican president. He made that clear when Barack Obama was president. And friendship notwithstanding, I don't think he's going to change if Joe Biden becomes president. He may be more cordial. He may, at the margins, be more willing to cooperate. But I think Biden is going to be very much at, you know, at the mercy of McConnell and looking for ways to pick off majorities, if he can, using you know, procedural moves. You know, it's not going to be easy right. if Democrats don't win in Georgia. And I think Biden is, uh, having served 36 years in the Senate, understands the difference between having the gavel and not having the gavel. We're going to talk next about this Georgia battle, these two runoff races, and we'll talk to Ryan Nobles. He's on the ground in Georgia. Stay with us. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So are you working with a certified financial planner, a CFP professional who meets rigorous education, training, and ethical standards, and is committed to serving your best interests to prepare you for a more secure future? Certified financial planner certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Welcome back. There's an awful lot going on in Washington these days with a new administration coming in and an old one refusing to admit that it lost. But for the next month, everyone's focus is on Georgia. Voters in Georgia have never been in this position before. The state is the center of the political universe right now, the site of not one, but two runoff elections for the United States Senate. The stakes will be enormous. It's a race with national implications. Those dynamics alone would be enough to pour hundreds of volunteers and millions of dollars into the state for the two-month sprint. But there is an added wrinkle that makes the stakes bigger than they have ever been in the Peach State. No, this election is about whether or not we're going to be able to govern at a moment of crisis. And all Senator Perdue is running on is ensuring Joe Biden's failure. That's Democrat John Ossoff. If he and Reverend Raphael Warnock are able to sweep both races over the incumbents, David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, the Democrats will take control of the United States Senate. That, along with their party retaining the majority in the House of Representatives and Joe Biden winning the presidential election, means the Democrats will have the full power of the legislative process for the first time since 2009 giving them the ability to actually pass much of Joe Biden's agenda, or at least have a shot. But Georgia is by no means a traditional battleground. For many years, it's been a reliably red state. Or at least it was, until November 3rd, 2020. CNN has just projected President-elect Biden the winner in Georgia. Joe Biden won here, 
It's the first time a Democratic presidential candidate pulled off that feat since Bill Clinton did it back in 1992. It was the culmination of an evolution for the state, decades in the making. It almost happened when Democratic candidate Stacey Abrams narrowly lost the race for governor two years ago. We saw in 2018, when we had record turnout and a record composition of the electorate, that being a battleground state was not possible, it was inevitable. Now, it would seem that duplicating that effort in the runoffs would be easy, but it's a bit more complicated than that. While voters here were willing to hand the keys of the White House to Biden, they may not be willing to take that next step of handing the entire government to the Democratic Party. And that's an argument that the Republican candidates keep making over. Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and John Ossoff want total control. And over. The promise that Chuck Schumer made was to fundamentally change America. And over again. Chuck Schumer said just two weeks ago, take Georgia, change America. We know that they'll move to a one-party system. Schumer has told us that. I recently asked one of the Democratic candidates, Raphael Warnock, how he responds to that critique. The problem is that the voices of the people have been diminished in our politics. Whether we're talking about the outsized influence of the well-connected or voter suppression. But while this argument may seem like an easy one for Republicans to make, there is a complicating factor. And we actually won. Remember, so many of the states, I won every one of them. Every one of these states. And by the way, the swing states that we're all fighting over now, I won them all by a lot. President Trump continues to falsely claim that he won the presidential election in Georgia. This despite three different recounts and the Republican leadership of the state affirming the results. Now, it's kind of hard for the Republican candidates to argue that they need to be elected in order to be a check on Joe Biden when President Trump keeps telling them that he's the actual winner. But that's not all. They cheated and they rigged our presidential election, but we will still win it. Trump consistently undermines the voting system in the state, claiming that it's rife with fraud. And many of his supporters in the state believe every single thing he says. Tell me how, if I'm a Republican voter, if you tell me that the election was stolen on November 3rd, that I can have confidence to vote on January 5th. How do those two I things work? I don't have confidence. I yeah. still don't have confidence because you're using the same, the same machines as you did then. And if you look Now, at the- I've talked to a lot of Republican operatives. And they really acknowledge that this isn't an easy thing to balance. They need President Trump's supporters to be passionately involved in the runoff race if they hope to win. They worry, though, that it is a tough argument to make. Hey, please, vote in this election. You know, an election that, by the way, is completely rigged and one you can't trust. But yeah, please vote anyway. But still, they think they can pull it off. They think they can tap into the energy of Trump's supporters, and they do so by leaning into his conspiracy theories without fully adopting them. It was a strategy that was on full display during a debate between Warnock and Leffler. Senator, did you believe the the election was rigged? Look, Greg, it's very clear that there were issues in this election. There are 250 investigations open. Did you hear that? (laughs) She never actually says the race is rigged, but she also leaves the possibility open. And the thing is, it might be working. There is still a long way to go. And President Trump doesn't appear to be giving up his quest to continue to undermine the system. But so far, we couldn't find a Trump supporter who told us their concerns about the electoral process were enough to keep them from voting on January 5th. People's got to go vote. That's our only weapon that we can use, our vote, against the crap that's going on in Washington right now. Pelosi and Schumer are garbage. 
I met Rodney Arnold as he was passing out a petition demanding the governor call a special session designed to hand the November election to Trump. He's one of the voters mad about November who is still going to vote in January. Early voting starts on Monday. Mail-in voting is already underway. Election day is January 5th. All eyes are on Georgia, like they have never been before, because these voters hold the future of America's government in their hands. Really great reporting from Ryan Nobles there on the ground in Georgia. So many dynamics at play in that state. You've got President Trump and his allies down there saying that the election was rigged, but also they're trying to encourage Trump voters to go out and vote for Leffler and vote for Purdue as well. Talk about how all of this fits together. Yeah, man, there's all kinds of cross-currents. It's crazy down there. Trump has fomented a civil war among Republicans down there, you know, fingering the governor and the secretary of state for not somehow producing a win for him or overturning the results. So there's a lot of anger. Neither of them turned up at Trump's rally when he was down in Georgia. And as Ryan points out, this whole intimation that the system is rigged isn't disincentive to vote. Still, Trump, you know, whipped his supporters to come out. I expect they will. Republicans have never lost a uh, runoff in the state of Georgia. So, you know, there, there are reasons for the Republicans to be hopeful. But it is a deeply divided state. Now you have a new and emerging core of African-American voters and minority voters that a number together uh, as much as 40 percent of the vote and suburban voters in burgeoning suburban area around Atlanta, uh, white college-educated professionals who turned against Trump. That makes this a very close state, so there'll be some mystery about what's going to happen until that day, and given what we've seen maybe for a few days after that day. But there are great consequences for Biden, uh, and there's no doubt that he will have a slimmed-down agenda in the Congress if Democrats don't win those two seats. Yeah, you know, listen, it is something of a victory that Democrats are in this position to begin with. This is where they wanted to be in Georgia for many, many years, since 1992, since you saw Clinton win that state. Biden obviously won that state. The big question, and we talked about this before, is Biden sort of a singular figure who's able to draw out those white voters as well as that a coalition of African-American voters, AAPI voters, uh, Latino voters as well. I mean, we've seen before the sort of black and brown part of the coalition show up, but then not so much from those white voters. I think Stacey Abrams got something like 25% of the white vote. Biden, I believe, got 30%. So Mm -hmm. are these the right candidates uh, in Warnock and Ossoff who can do what Biden did at the presidential level? We'll see. But as you said, so much is riding on this for Biden's presidency, for the Democrats' agenda as well. So we'll keep an eye on what happens down in Georgia. One question question I have about those suburban voters, Nia, is did they voted for Biden because they were tired of Trump's behavior, his antics, and so on. They may not have been as tired of some of his policies. You know, a lot of people who voted for Trump among suburban men came over. Do they 
buy the argument that this is a good check on the Democrats. We wanted Biden. We didn't want Trump. But we don't want the Democrats to have the whole deal. And therefore, we're going to vote strategically in this election. I think that's what Republicans are counting on. That's what their message is. And we shall see. One other random point. What's happening in Georgia, what happened in Arizona, that is what a lot of Democrats point to is the answer to the problems that I raised before, which is in the Sun Belt, you have these coalitions of states with large numbers of black, Hispanic, you know, Asian voters and big, growing suburban areas where young professionals are moving. And that may be a salvation for a party that is struggling more and more to win states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. But I think Democrats are going to have to do more than that. I think that's right. And this will be a test of that in some ways. It'll be a test. And listen, this race also tells us, as have the last many weeks, that Donald Trump is not going anywhere. He plans to be a force for in the sure. Republican Party for mm. years to come. Thanks so much, Axelrod, so great to talk to you. Always good to be with you. Maybe we'll get to see each other in a year. I I don't know. I don't know, man. I can't wait for those vaccinations so we can sit next to each other again. Oh, totally. I'll be first in line. Me too. I'll be second. All righty. Take care. That's it for this week's episode of Politically Sound. Thanks so much for listening. And if you could take a few minutes to give us a rating and a review, we'd very much appreciate that. And if you're listening for the first time, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you get our latest episode each week delivered right to you. Politically Sound is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan and Mimi Mutesa. Haley Thomas is the senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior production manager, and Francisco Monroy is our engineer. David Toledo is the team's production assistant. And a special thanks to Abby Sharp for her help on this week's episode. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus, and we'll see y'all next week. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So are you working with a certified financial planner, a CFP professional who meets rigorous education, training, and ethical standards and is committed to serving your best interests to prepare you for a more secure future? Certified financial planner certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.